Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. Uh, This is the latest in our weekly update series from the LPRC. I'm joined by colleagues Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, as well as our producer, Diego Rodriguez. I want to welcome everybody back. Uh, We're going to very, very, very quickly talk about the global coronavirus uh, pandemic that we're experiencing, uh, looking at now the vaccines. Uh, Over 5 billion humans have been vaccinated in the entire globe, across the globe, and growing daily. The United States now, uh, over a quarter million uh, Americans, 255 million um, and growing, have now been vaccinated for uh, the COVID-19 disease to reduce the seriousness of disease should should have we become infected. I've seen estimates that anywhere between 80 and 95 percent of Americans have now uh, either have some immunity response, um, both cellular as well as antibody uh, response due to natural infection and or uh, vaccination. Um, that's got to be helping. We're not seeing near the seriousness, evidently, according to the research that I'm reading, um, that is being seen around the world. Uh, there are still over 120 vaccine candidates moving through phase one, two, and three trials. Um, we're looking at some of the research for those that have been naturally infected, uh, some di- increased diabetes risk. It looks like, according to some studies, um, we've talked over and over about some of the brain effects for those that have been infected. Um, that is still under study to better understand that. Um, but it, it seems all around the world, while some areas continue, including in the United States, to see spikes in infection rates uh, or in hospitalizations uh, or even fatalities, that um, that seems to be waning overall globally. Um, some areas are still in uh, in the heat of battle, if you will. Um, because of lower uh, natural infection or vaccination rates, particularly in the vulnerable. Um, Some countries bear in mind or where the United States probably was uh, about a year ago or more. So we'll continue to monitor the situation just as we're monitoring the tragedy in the Ukraine with the Russian invasion, um, the the amount of death and destruction being created right now by uh, the the uh, Russian leadership and their military um, and intelligence people is just beyond description um, and continues to grow um, in intensity and the horror that they're creating there. And so our thoughts and prayers, of course, go out to all those that are dealing with the situation that's not only devastating individual Ukrainians and groups and the entire nation of the Ukraine, but also the nearby neighbors and beyond and continues to affect all of us and probably will forever. And we know the stakes are incredibly high when when a, a, a nation or an organization like that, that uh, Putin and his crew have put together, um, have an, a, a wide array of nuclear and chemical uh, and biological weapons 
Um, so we'll stay tuned to that tragedy um, as it grows. We'll we'll switch over now to the LPRC um, and talk a little bit about our uh, new team members. We've we've added uh, about 30 new members in just over 90 days. Uh, we anticipate the possibility of adding 30 more corporate members over the next um, 90 uh, to 180 days as well. So the LPRC is growing uh, both in retail corporate members, uh, retailer corporate members, as well as with our SPs or solution partner members. We're excited. So our team's growing, the operations side, the administrative side, as well as our research side. We've talked about Dr. Sarah McFan um, and the work she's doing in the violent crime area, including facilitating with the co leaders and co-leaders of the violent crime working group, working on aggressive street behavior by those that happen to be homeless, um, understanding the harm created uh, in, in, in the form of um, impediment, impeding uh, movement by intimidation, uh, whether um, intentional or not, uh, and by aggressiveness and theft um, and other um, acts of uh, destructive acts. So just trying to understand using uh, law enforcement right around, right along, excuse me, uh, looking at uh, mapping. Uh, we're planning some drone uh, mapping missions coming up here. Um, so a lot of data will be collected on the, aggress the aggressive street behavior and other behaviors that result in harm. Let's call them harmful behaviors by those that happen to be homeless uh, or that phenomenon. Um, starting off here in Gainesville because there's no shortage of, of, of issues here, but also working simultaneously with certain retailers uh, on the West Coast, the Northeast, and elsewhere. Um, so Sarah's working away on that, as well as um, work on uh, off-duty law enforcement, as well as private, third-party, or proprietary security guards. In fact, uh, our new RIA program, the Research and Action Program briefs that will be coming out, they'll be anywhere from 45 to 55 of these reports coming out annually that will be short, quick summaries of the research, what the issue is, the research conducted, the results of the research and the possible implications and how uh, practitioners can go to work with that, whether you're devising solutions in a, as an SP or you're uh, an LP or AP practitioner. Um, so we're excited. You're gonna see an, uh, an incredible amount of uh, productivity as far as report briefs and reports and content put out through our events and webinars this year like never before. Um, we've also, we've talked about Orion San Angelo, another one of our researchers here. He's he's focused in the command, control, and intelligence, C3I area, working on SOC Lab and putting that whole program together at a level we've never seen before. We've got a, a huge array of partners helping us put that program together here, and so it's going to include uh, crime mapping, it's going to include all types of mapping. In fact, Esri, who uh, is uh, ArcGIS, ArcPro, ArcMap, uh, they were in here uh, this week as we continue to see more and more uh, visitors, both retailers coming through here as well as solution partners. Uh, but they are going to be providing us with an array of mapping tools in addition to what we're doing with, with people like MapLarge and CapIndex uh, and others. Uh, but we'll have the ability to do drone to map, uh, interior mapping, uh, a very extensive and sophisticated exterior mapping to work on specific crimes, crime series, organized retail crime groups um, through social network analysis, crime place uh, linkages and that type of analysis. Um, but just uh, stay tuned because 
not only does Sarah and Orion have um, a lot of uh, geospatial training using different mapping tools, especially from Esri in this case, but a new uh, researcher just came on board this week, James Martin, and he is uh, a geographer. Um, and so as a geographer criminologist with us, research scientists, he's going to provide an amazing amount of expertise on helping us get up to speed to, and as well as to work on very specific projects. James will also, also be working research and facilitating the re retail fraud working group here, as well as DOG, our data analytics working group. Uh, Orion, additionally, to the uh, C3I and the and parts of the uh, innovation working group here will be working with Diego on the supply chain protection working group. They're already launched two uh, pretty large scale um, supply chain protection research programs. Um, we're also working with Procter & Gamble on one of those programs in addition to multiple retailers. Very exciting stuff. Um, and so please, we'd, we'd invite you, if you remember, to get involved in the violent crime or any of these working groups that we've got here. We've got seven of those working groups. So reach out to operations at lpresearch.org for any of that information. We, we'd also encourage you to subscribe to the LPRC's Connect e-newsletter. comes out weekly, uh, comes out every Tuesday afternoon late. And uh, operations at LP Research is the way to subscribe, no cost. It could, you could be a member or a non-member and get engaged and understand we've got a lot of big pictures, big words, but a lot of links to get heavily involved and read and understand what all is going on. Um, coming up as well will be the uh, RELA Open House. And um, we uh, will be not only uh, excited to present and, and, and work with RELA and have a, a booth space at RELA in Orlando coming up here shortly in April. Um, we love uh, the support and the partnership we've got with the Retail Industry Leaders Association, Lisa LeBruno and team. Um, and so <clears throat> we'll be there. But also on that, on as part of that, after that, we're inviting and have already got quite a few people signing up to come into the LPRC Open House 2022, uh, April 27th and April 28th, the 27th and 28th here in Gainesville, 10 a.m. to 2 Again, operations at lpresearch.org is the place to RSVP that you and, and or your team would like to come into Gainesville and uh, do lab tours, eat and greet with us here, uh, brainstorm with us here at the labs in Gainesville at the UF Innovate Hub on that April 27th and 28th. Um, uh, we just had uh, Dr. Corey Logo and present successfully down at the Food Marketing Institute, the FMI's uh, Asset Protection Loss Prevention meeting that they just had actually in Orlando as well yesterday on uh, March 22nd, 2022. And so uh, good job down there, Corey, on that presentation. Um, the, I think the impact is my last thing here is let's, I want to remind everybody that on that first week, always, always on the first week of October, we've got LPRC impact. Uh, this I think is our 16th year of impact and it will be October 3rd through the 5th. Uh, a fantastic reception, lab tours, really neat event on that evening, Monday evening, uh, October 3rd. Um, we'll have all day uh, amazing content on that Tuesday, October 4th. Uh, and then we'll have a, an unbelievable social event in the swamp um, where we take over the uh, Champions Club. And then finally, we go half a day with some more incredible content uh, on that Wednesday, the 5th, ending on noon, the 5th. Um, so it allows people the opportunity to fly into Gainesville or travel into Gainesville uh, all day Monday and 
uh, how it gives them half a day uh, to head back to their greener pastures um, on that uh, afternoon of Wednesday the 5th. So mark your calendars, budget your time and travel, if you would, for LPRC Impact 2022 version, physical and person in Gainesville, Florida. So with no further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Tony D'Ofrio. Tony, if you'd take it away. Thank you, Reed. Uh, let me start first with an interesting article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal this week on uh, crime trends in San Francisco. The online edition titled the articles, Petty Thieves Plague San Francisco. These last two years have been insane. Some interesting highlights or more importantly, lowlights from the article. Among the 25 largest U.S. cities, San Francisco has had the highest uh, property crime rate in four of the most recent six years for which data is available, bucking the long-term national uh, decline in such crimes that began in the 1990s. Property crimes in San Francisco declined during the first year of the pandemic, but are up 13% in 2021. Burglaries in the cities are at the highest levels since the mid-1990s, and there were 20,663 thefts from vehicles last year, almost 57 a day, a 39% increase from the prior year, although still below the record of 31,398 in 2017. Smashed storefronts are also common in the city, and in fact, they're so common that the city itself is not actually offering public money to pay for them. Uh, car owners now are leaving their uh, windows open uh, or leave notes that basically say there's nothing of value inside. And then, of course, we've seen the videos of shoplifters uh, shopping in drugstores that have gone rival and also in luxury stores. Owners of small businesses say the cost of security and repairs are reading in the profits already diminished by the COVID-19 pandemic in the Castro district of the city. Shops have recorded nearly 100 instances of smashed windows and doors that cost $170,000 to repair since the beginning of 2020, according to the Neighborhood Merchant Association. Businesses have been affected in every corner of San Francisco, even traditionally low-crime areas, such as uh, the Sunset District, where commercial and residential burglaries rose 80% between 2019 and 2021. I have not been to San Francisco since the beginning of the pandemic, but these stats are disturbing. And unfortunately, they're also common in some other parts uh, in some other cities of the United States. Again, I would encourage all of you to engage with the LPRC so we can aggressively fight this crime together. Let me switch now to my continuing series on the surprising start of your favorite uh, retail technologies. And this week, you actually will get an advanced peek in terms of what uh, in some part two. In part one, I, I spoke to, about the beginning of the first supermarket, first department store, and the first use of a barcode. In part two, let me start with the first item that was purchased online. As with other emerging technologies, one can debate the origin of e-commerce. Candidates include pizza, weed, 
CD, and computer parts. In my view, the first real online transaction that involved data encryption software to send a credit card securely took place in August 1994 when a website called NetMarket, uh, that August 11th, Dan Cohn sold a CD of Sting that was called 10 Summoner's Tales to a friend for $12.48 plus shipping. Once the internet could be used for secure shopping, uh, and really the progress started. So a year later in 1995, Amazon and eBay launched their online shopping platform, soon followed by Rakuten in Japan and Alibaba in China. A decade ago, e-commerce made up only 8% of total retail sales in the US. The pandemic, like everything else, has accelerated that trend and peak in 2020, worldwide e-commerce grew 25%. E-commerce will continue to grow double digit, crossing 6 trillion worldwide by 2023. The largest e-commerce market is China, representing 52% of total worldwide sales online, USA second and 19%. In 2021, over 2 billion people worldwide shop online that's equivalent to one in four. And what's interesting in that first CD that was sold in line, the Sting CD, one of the songs was Field of Gold. Amazing that since 1994, online, how much Field of Gold it has found worldwide. The next interesting that, that I, technology that I discussed in part two is a smartphone. The surprising start of the smartphone was on August 16, 1994, when IBM released the Simon Personal Communicator to the market. Although the, uh, the term smartphone didn't come into existence until a year later, Simon had a lot of the features we think about that are true of smartphones, including an address book, calendar, calculator, and notepad. It even had a touchscreen, although you needed a stylus to use it. The price of the original Simon a smartphone is not too different from an iPhone today. IBM priced Simon at $899 with a service contract. That's equivalent to about $1,500 in today's dollars. The original Simon was on the market for only six months and only 50,000 units were sold. Fast forward to 2007, that's when the Apple iPhone came out. And as I've said in many of my presentation, the Apple iPhone was the third mega trend along with Samsung and others that followed as that generation was the third mega, uh, mega trend that transformed retail uh, dramatically going forward. Today, we all see our screens everywhere. In 2021, just the top five largest smartphone markets worldwide cross over 2 billion units in total units. Finally, uh, in this edition of uh, uh, technologies that are surprising from their start, I discussed robots. And robots, uh, the word robot was first coined by a Czech playwright, uh, Karel Kapek, and he managed, he managed robots being artificial and fully functional servants. The first industrial um, robot was Unimate, developed in the 1950s by uh, Joseph 
Engelberger, and George Deval. The original purpose of these early prototypes was to perform tasks that would harm humans. In 1959, a unit-made robot prototype was installed at General Motors uh, under assembly line to move hot pieces of metal. The introduction of robots in manufacturing process led General Motors to become one of the most automated, automated plants in the world. Robots could build 110 cars per hour, more than twice as fast as any other plant on that time. Fast forward, the global market for industrial robots um, in 2021 was nearly $44 billion. It's expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 10%, reaching nearly $71 billion by 2028. In the retail industry, the robots are accelerating their invasion also. One in four retailers are currently working on robotic projects, and 47% said that they'll be working on in-store robotic projects in the next 18 months. The pandemic raised the profile of robotic automation in warehouse and stores. 63% of retailers say robotics increased the importance for use in warehouses, and 43% see greater importance in stores. Again, take this opportunity to engage with LPRC to learn more how these disruptive surprising technologies can be optimized for deployments. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Thank you, Reed. Thank you, Tony. And we have a lot of things uh, to cover today, but uh, I will go somewhat quickly uh, through them. But I want to start start kind of with the Russian-Ukrainian conflict and uh, some of the things that we're starting to see. The White House um, made a, a very direct kind of uh, message to utilities and infrastructure along with uh, several agencies about uh, a Russian cyber attack that uh, is imminent. So this is not um, an uncredible threat. It is a credible threat. We, we know that we're seeing activity today of potential attacks at a larger magnitude than we did before. Um, and I'm using the word attack broadly because I think it's important to kind of say street a cyber incident as a cyber, uh, cyber incident because ransomware and uh, breaches and, and actually infrastructure attacks to limit or impede the ability to use are, are all different but all have similar uh, concerns or constraints. This is um, directly related to critical infrastructure and utility. That's where the utilities, that's where the war, uh, warning came from, from the White House and the cyber uh, Institute Securities, there's a whole host of different organizations that are sending warnings out. And, you know, some of the basic fundamentals are is, you know, the, the you know, low-hanging fruit vulnerabilities. So we talk about on the podcast all the time, the importance of patching and updating your systems. Uh, right now, what we're seeing is a tremendous amount of scans of for looking for open ports, looking for uh, vulnerabilities that have already been assessed. So these, while these attacks are sophisticated, in some circumstances, they can be frauded off by just simply uh, keeping updates there. Uh, furthermore, in, in the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, while this is not uh, hot off the press's news, it's been kind of back and forth, is Russia officially did ban Facebook and Instagram and actually um, categorize them as terrorist organizations. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that, that means that they're slowly getting closer to the North Korean uh, type of 
cult, uh, government or dictatorship where they're limiting, uh, uh, you know, social media and internet access. They've already additionally, in addition to banning Facebook and Instagram, they've already um, had basically cut off the outside internet and have a government-run internet very similar to China and North Korea, uh, which limits what can be shown and how it can be shown. But now they're outlawing things like Facebook and, and Instagram. And that allows them also to hold people um, under a governmental oppressed society, a- accountable, meaning so if you're caught using these things, you're actually violating a law, which allows them to really uh, arrest you and throw you in jail for using social media. So I know last week when we spoke, Tor, the dark web opened up for Twitter um, so that people could communicate. Uh, but this is uh, a little bit concerning in the sense that what is the end game? You know, what is the end game for Russia? And the CIA actually, I think as early as this morning, said that they don't know. There, there isn't a clear understanding of what's next, that um, the most of the intelligence reports today say that uh, Russia could become exiled and be very similar to North Korea, where there is no outside influence and um, completely change the dynamic of what people are faced with there. So we'll continue to monitor the situation and... Um, I think we'll continue to give updates. Uh, my my kind of advice to anybody listening today, uh, whether you're in the commercial space, the utility space, the retail space, or just at home, is to make sure that you uh, take the time to update your Macs and Windows PCs and update your cell phones. I know that sounds um, remedial in, in this in this circumstance, but you don't want to be low hanging fruit. Um, and while yes, these attack uh, the, these warnings are very focused on critical infrastructure, the reality is when these type of attacks are occurring at a mass scale, there is absolutely um, and then there's absolutely a chance that consumers and regular folks as well as retailers will be caught in the in the mix. So switching gears a, a little bit um, away from the Russian conflict is to talk about just some some general news in the tech sector. One thing that you may have read if you're if you're seeing some of the things that are occurring is around digital currency and the US government going to digital currency. Uh, and the media is really taking an interesting spin on this. Some news people uh, reports are saying uh, headlines like experts say physical banks could be a thing of the past. The US uh, as the US creates a digital dollar um, this is obviously something I'm heavily involved in my full-time job here and I actually do another podcast in the banking sector called The Cash News. And some of this is, is media playing on what's occurring. Uh, the reality here is that multiple central banks, including the U.S. central banks, are looking at a, a, a governmental-backed digital currency. This is not cryptocurrency. This is really a, a tr- like a fiat currency, if you will. Uh, that's digital. And one of the things I, I would say is just to talk about this, because this is making national news and this is definitely making um, world news if you're in the banking world. But this was on multiple ABC stations throughout the country about experts saying the banks will, you know, physical banks could be, you know, a thing of the past because of this digital currency. This digital currency that would be central backed, a, a central bank backed or a U.S. government backed. Um, is very similar to how a debit card works today. And what I mean by that is if you go to a store today and you use your debit card, they're digitally debiting your account and taking your money out of your account. So this is um, 
while this is different, it's very similar to that. Unlike a cryptocurrency, which is not centrally, uh, you know, not centrally managed, it's not backed by a bank. Um, this is taking, uh, for basic principle, a U.S. dollar and digitizing that U.S. dollar. Um, and allowing a, a means to transfer it differently. This does not mean that notes would not be printed. This does not mean that that the you know you will no longer be able to get a physical dollar bill. What this means is that U.S. the U.S. government and the central bank are recognizing the evolution in digital transformation and trying to prepare for it. And I actually spoke at a conference a few weeks back called the Banknote and Currency Research Conference. And I spoke about cybersecurity and risk and a lot of the topics there, there were um, virtually almost every central bank in the world was attending, was digital, you know, government ba governmental backed digital currency. What did it mean? And um, one of the, you know, the analogies that I often use is that that debit card analogy of like when you're using your debit card, you are essentially digitizing dollars, right? It's not the same as a credit card. Um, so this is a, a space that we'll watch and, and we'll talk about on uh, on the podcast because it will impact retailers and it will impact all of us because it will continue to um, change the way we spend. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's good or bad. It just means that there's a change in something uh, that we'll need to watch. Uh, Two other things that I want to talk about. One was just, um, you know, we, we talk about civil disturbance and disruption. Uh, and uh, I'm going to talk just very, very high level because I thought it was um, a story that warranted us talking here. You know, Miami Beach has actually imposed a curfew, uh, you know, around spring break because of violence. Uh, they had multiple shootings. Uh, there were a lot of fights. And uh, what what I would say here is that this was all things that, you know, if you do have an active intelligence and open sourcing intelligence or social media monitoring platform, uh, you'd actually see some of this. I actually saw some of this occurring in relatively real time, uh, watching some of the social media chatter in that area and seeing there's a fight here. Um, this is this is going on, um, you know, and. Very, very interestingly, is most of these events were posted um, based, uh, you know, either on TikTok or Instagram uh, in real time. Sometimes, so uh, one of the fights, there was a real time video. Um, another video that was posted was someone after a shooting. So it just is just kind of should serve as a reminder of that the the power of what we you know we can do today with social media and active intelligence gathering to be able to make near real-time decisions. Um, I don't think that the, the not minimizing the situation in Miami Beach, but it probably doesn't warrant us activating a fusion, the fusion net uh, because it is somewhat localized. And there's definitely some political rhetoric in this when you hear the mayor and, and the, the city officials talking about how they don't want spring break and how they've had more law enforcement out there. But at the end of the day, imposing a curfew in a major city um, clearly shows that something's going on. And then the question always is, what does it have uh, impact does that have on the green shopper? What does that mean when someone needs to shop, needs to do something, um, and how the impact them? So we'll continue to monitor that and give updates on that. And then the last piece, which is uh, something I thought just was an interesting tidbit, and um, I wrote about this once before, is that um, you know I we I know Tony has mentioned deep fakes and fake pictures before, but deep fakes are basically when you're using artificial intelligence and machine learning to make a video with someone else's face to replicate who they are. Um, so me making a video and using someone else's face and putting words in their mouth, if you will. Um, and there are some algorithms out there that play a role on it. But then there's this other piece of thing that I don't think 
we talk about a lot, but there's this fake picture or artificial intelligence generator to make for fake profile pictures. Um, and basically you go in and you, you tell the computer what attributes you want and it creates a photo uh, that is unique in some fashion of creating different attributes. Well, there is actually a couple different uh, programs out there that were not uh, consumerly available to identify, is this a deep fake video? It's a little trickier, but is this a, a, an image that is artificially or a synthetic image? So there's actually a, a, a company called V7 Labs that have created uh, a Google extension in Google Chrome that allows you to scan a picture and within 99.29% accuracy identify whether it's uh, a real person or synthetic. And you may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with me? Well, uh, in if what, what the future probably holds for us is a whole new rash of synthetic fraud. Now, we know synthetic fraud for credit card fraud happens today where someone creates um, a, you know, a actual credit profile. Uh, usually this is done by uh, a good creditor, puts them on as a – as a joint or a co co-signer puts a, a, a synthetic social security number and actually creates a credit header and then basically when you go to collect that person doesn't exist so the, the you know the first creation of it when the co-signing is good a good account all the rest are not and then there's no way to actually collect well adding this layer of complexity to it allows that synthetic fraud to create you know, a photo id to um in some cases, trick facial recognition, you now are at this next level of synthetic um, fraud. Um, so it, it is something in our space that we should be mindful of. I'm not sure today that there's much actionable items. But the great part that for everybody here is listening is that, as we always say, as the bad guys are coming up with ways to defraud, uh, the good guys are constantly looking at technology uh, to to throw that fraud off. And I think one of the things we often say is it is sometimes a game of cat and mouse, but the fact that these things are happening in real time are positive for all of us. So no, I covered a bunch of different things, but um, I, uh, with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Reed. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you so much, Tom, for all that great information. Uh, I want to thank you both. I want to thank Diego Rodriguez, our producer, um, Tom, our editor, and I want to mostly and most of all, thank all of you, each and every one of you that listen. Always questions, comments, suggestions for the LPRC Crime Science Podcast team are always welcome at uh, operations at lpresearch.org. Everybody stay safe and stay in touch. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 